You're listening to Voices of Church Past. I am your host, Rob Barnhart. Today we'll be reading from St. Basil. Furthermore, man is crowned with glory and honor, and glory and honor and peace are laid up by promise to every man that works good. Romans 2.10 There is moreover a special and peculiar glory for the Israelites, to whom it is said pertains the adoption and the glory and the service. And the psalmist speaks of a certain glory of, of his own, that my glory may sing praise to you and again wake up my glory. And according to the apostle, there is a certain glory of the sun, moon, and stars. The administration of condemnation is glorious. Second Corinthians 3.9 While then so many things are glorified, do you wish the spirit alone of all things to be unglorified? Yet the apostle says the administration of the spirit is glorious. 2 Corinthians 3.8 How then can he himself be unworthy of glory? How, according to the psalmist, can the glory of the just man be great according to you, the glory of the Spirit, none? How is there not a plain peril from such arguments of our bringing on ourselves the sin from which there is no escape? The man who is being saved by works of righteousness glorifies even them that fear the Lord, much less would he deprive the Spirit of the glory which is his due. Grant, they say, that he is to be glorified, but not with the Father and the Son. But what reason is there in giving up the place appointed by the Lord of the Spirit, invented some other? What reason is there for robbing of his share of glory, him, was everywhere associated with the Godhead? In the confession of the faith, in the baptism of redemption, in the working of miracles, and in the indwelling of the saints, and the graces bestowed on obedience. There is not even one single gift which reaches creation without the Holy Ghost. Not even a single word can be spoken in defense of Christ except by them that are aided by the Spirit. As we have learned in the Gospels from our Lord and Savior, Matthew ten nineteen through 20 and I know not whether anyone who has been a partaker of the Holy Spirit consent that he, we should overlook all this, forget his fellowship in all things, and tear the Spirit asunder from the Father and the Son. Where then are we to take him and rank him? But the creature, yet all the creature is in bondage, but the spirit makes free. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Second Corinthians 3.17 Many arguments might be adduced to them that is unseemly to coordinate the spirit with created nature, but for the present I will pass by them. Were I indeed to bring forward in a manner befitting the dignity of the discussion all proofs always available on our side to overthrow the objections of our opponents at Lathy, Dissertation would be required, and my readers might be worn out by its length. I therefore propose to reserve this matter for a special treatise, and to apply myself to points now more immediately before us. Let us then examine the points one by one. He is good by nature, in the same way as the Father is good and the Son is good. The creature, on the other hand, shares in goodness by choosing the good. He knows the deep things of God. The creature receives the manifestation of ineffable things through the Spirit. He quickens together with God, who produces and preserves all things alive, together with the Son, who gives life. He that raised up Christ from the dead, it is said, shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwells in you. Romans 8:11. And again, my sheep hear my voice, and I give unto them eternal life. But the Spirit also, it is said, gives life, and the Spirit, it is said, is life because of righteousness. And the Lord wit- bears witness that it is the Spirit that quickens the flesh, profits nothing. John six sixty three. How then shall we alienate the Spirit from his quickening power and make him belong to lifeless nature? Who is so contentious, who is so utterly without heavenly gift and unfed by God's good words, who is so devoid of part and lot in the eternal hopes as to sever the Spirit from the Godhead and rank him with the creature? 
Now it is urged that the Spirit is in us as a gift from God. The gift is not referenced with the same honor as that which is attributed to the giver. The Spirit is a gift of God, but a gift of life for the law of the Spirit of life, it is said, has made us free. Romans 8.2 And a gift of power. You shall receive the power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. Acts 1.8 Is he on this account to be lightly esteemed? Did not God also bestow his Son as a free gift to mankind? He had spared not his own Son, it is said, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Romans 8.32 And in another place we might fully know the things that are freely given to us of God. 1 Corinthians 2.12 In reference to the mystery of the Incarnation, it follows then that the maintainers of such arguments in making the greatness of God's loving kindness on occasion of blasphemy have really surpassed the ingratitude of the Jews. They find fault with the Spirit because it gives us freedom to call God our Father. For God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Galatians 4, 6, that the voice of the Spirit may become the very voice of them that have received Him. It is, however, asked by our opponents, how is it that Scripture nowhere describes the Spirit as glorified together with the Father and the Son, but carefully avoids the use of the expression with the Spirit, while it everywhere prefers to describe glory in Him as being the fitter phrase? I should, for my own part, deny that the word in or by implies lower dignity than the word with. I should maintain, on the contrary, that rightly understood it leads us up to the highest possible meaning. This is the case where, as we observed, it often stands instead of with. As, for instance, I will go into your house and burn offerings. Instead of with the burnt offerings, he brought them forth also by silver and gold. That is to say, with silver and gold, and you go not forth in our armies instead of with our armies and innumerable similar passages in short i should very much like to learn from this newfangled philosophy what kind of glory the apostles ascribe to the word in according to the interpretation which our opponents pre-offer as derived from scripture for i have nowhere found the formula to you o father be honor and glory through your only begotten son by or in the holy ghost a form which to our opponents comes, so to say, as naturally as the air they breathe. They may indeed find each of these clauses separately, but they will nowhere be able to show them to us arranged in this conjunction. If then they want exact conformity to what is written, let them give us exact references. If on the other hand they make concession to custom, they must not make us exception to such a privilege. As we find both expressions in use among the faithful, we use both. And the belief that full glory is equally given to the spirit by both. The mouse, however, the revilers of the truth, must best be stopped by the preposition, which, while it has the same meaning as that of the scriptures, is not so wieldy a weapon for our opponents. Indeed, it is now an object of their attack. It is used instead of conjunction and for to say Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, first Thessalonians one one, it's precisely the same thing as to say Paul with Timothy and Silvanus. For the connection of the name is persevered by either modes of expression. The Lord says, Father and Son and the Holy Ghost. Matthew 28:19. If I say the Father and the Son with the Holy Ghost, shall I make any difference in the sense? The connection of names by means of the conjunction and the instances are many. We read that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost 2 Corinthians 13, 13, and again I beseech you for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, Romans 15, 30, 
Now, if we wish to use with instead of and, what difference shall we have made? I do not see unless anyone, according to hand, of vast grammatical rules might prefer the conjunction as making the union stronger, reject a, preposi a preposition as inferior force. But if we had to defend ourselves on these points, I do not suppose we should require a defense of many words. As it is, their argument is not about syllables, nor yet about this, or the sound of a word, but about things differing most widely in power and truth. It's for this reason that while the use of syllables is really a matter of no importance whatsoever, our opponents are making an endeavor to authorize some syllables, how not others from the church. On my own part, although the usefulness of the word is obvious as soon as it is heard, I will nevertheless set forth the arguments which led our fathers to adopt the reasonable course of employing the preposition with. It does indeed equally well with the preposition and confute the mischief of Sibelius, and it sets forth quite as well as and the distinction of the hypostasis, as in the words, I and my father will come, I and my father are one. In addition to this proof, it contains the eternal fellowship. Uninterrupted conjunction is excellent. For to say that the son is with the father is to exhibit that at once the distinction of the hypostasis and the inseparability of the fellowship. The same thing is observable even in mere human matters. For the conjunction and intimates that there is a common element in an action, while the preposition with declares in some sense as well the communion in action. As for instance, Paul and Timothy sailed to Macedonia, but both Tychus and one Mrs. are sent to the Colossians. Hence, we learn that they did the same thing. But suppose we were told they sailed with and were sent with. Then we are informed in addition that we learn they carried out the action in company with another. Thus, while the word with upsets the error of Sibelius, as no other word can, it routs also the sinner who err in the very opposite direction. Those, I mean, who separate the Son from the Father and the Spirit from the Son by intervals of time. As compared with in, there is this difference, that while with sets forth the mutual conjunction, the parties associated, as for example, those who shall sail with or dwell with or do anything else in common and shows their relation to the matter in which they happen to be acting for we no sooner hear the words sail in or dwell in than we form the idea of the boat of the house such is distinction between these words in the ordinary usage the laborious investigation might discover further illustrations i have no time to examine into the nature of the syllables since then it has been shown that with most clearly gives the sense of conjunction let it be declared, if you will, to be under safe conduct, to cease to wage your savage and truceless war against it. Nevertheless, though the word is naturally thus auspicious, yet if anyone likes in the ascription of the praise to couple the names by the syllable and to give glory to, as we ought, as we have taught in the gospel in the formula of baptism, Father and Son and Holy Ghost, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, be it so, no one will make any objection. On these conditions, if you will, let us come to terms. But our foes would rather surrender their tongues than accept this word. As this, that rouses against us their implacable and truceless war. We must offer the ascription of glory to God. It's contended in the Holy Ghost and not and to the Holy Ghost. And they passionately cling to this word in, as though it were lowered the spirit. It will therefore not be unprofitable to speak at greater length about it. I shall be astonished if they do not. 
when they have heard what we have to urge, reject the inn as itself a traitor to the cause and a deserter to the side of the glory of the Spirit. Now, short and simple as this utterance is, it appears to me, I, as I consider it, that its meanings are many and various. For the senses in which in is used, we find that all help of our conceptions of the spirit, form is said to be in the matter, power to be in what is capable of it, habit to be in him who is affected by it, and so on. Therefore, inasmuch as the Holy Spirit perfects rational beings, completing their excellence, he is analogous to form. For he who no longer lives after the flesh, Romans 8, 12, being led by the Spirit of God, Romans 8, 14, is called the Son of God, being conformed to the image of the Son of God, Romans 8.29, is described as spiritual. And as is the power of seeing in the healthy eyes, so is the operation of the Spirit in the purified soul. Wherefore also Paul prays for the Ephesians that they may have their eyes enlightened by the Spirit of wisdom, Ephesians 1.17.18. And as the art in him who acquired it, so is the grace of the Spirit in the recipient ever present, though not continuously in operation. For as the artist potentially in the artist, operation while he is working in accordance with it, so also the Spirit is ever present with those who are worthy, but works as need requires, in prophecies, healings, or in some actual other carrying into effect of his potential action. Furthermore, as in our bodies, in health or heat, generally their variable conditions, and so frequently as the Spirit in the soul, since he does not abide with those who on the account of instability of their will easily reject the grace which they have received an instance of this is seen in saul first samuel sixteen fourteen, and the seventy elders of the children of israel except elad and medad with whom alone the spirit appears to have remained and generally anyone similar to these in character and like reason in the soul which is at one time the thought of in the heart and in another a speech uttered by the tongue so is the holy spirit is when he bears witness with our spirit when he cries in our hearts, Abba, Father, or when he speaks on our behalf, as it is said, is not as ye that speak, but the Spirit of our Father, which speaks in you, Matthew ten twenty. Again, the Spirit is conceived of in relation to the distribution of gifts as a whole in parts, for we are all members of one another, having gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, Romans twelve five six. Wherefore the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. But altogether complete the body of Christ in the unity of the Spirit, and render to one another the needful aid that comes of the gifts. But God has set the members in the body, every one of them, as it has pleased him. But the members have the same care for one another. According to the inborn spiritual communion of their sympathy, wherefore, whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. For one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, and as parts in the whole, so are we individually in the spirit, because we were all baptized in one body into one spirit. It is an extraordinary statement, but it is nonetheless true that the spirit is frequently spoken of as the place of them that are being sanctified. And it will become evident that even by this figure, the spirit, so far from being degraded, is rather glorified, for words applicable to the body are, for the sake of clearness, frequently transferred in scripture to spiritual conceptions spiritual conceptions accordingly we find the psalmist even in reference to god saying be thou to me a champion god and a strong place to save me concerning the spirit behold there's a place by me stand upon a rock plainly meaning the place of contemplation in the spirit wherein after moses had entered there 
He was able to see God intelligibly manifested to him. This is the special or particular place of true worship. For it is said, take heed to yourself that thou offer not your burnt offerings in every place, but in the place of the Lord your God shall choose. Deuteronomy 12, 13 through 14. Now, what is a spiritual burnt offering? The sacrifice of praise. And in what place do we offer it? It is in the Holy Spirit. We have learned this from the Lord himself in the words, the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This place Jacob saw and said, the Lord is in this place. Genesis 28:16. It follows that the spirit is verily the place of the saints and the saint in the proper place of, uh, for the spirit, offering himself as he does for the indwelling of God and called God's temple. 1 Corinthians 6.19 So Paul speaks in Christ, saying in the sight of God we speak in Christ. And Christ in Paul, as he himself says, he seek a proof of Christ speaking in me. So also in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. 1 Corinthians 14.2 And again the Spirit speaks in him in 1 Peter 1.11 In relation to the original then, the Spirit is said to be in them. In the various portions and the various manners, Hebrews 1.1 1, 1. While in relation to the Father and the Son, it's more consistent with true religion to assert him not to be in, but to be with, for the grace flowing from him when he dwells in those that are worthy and carries out his own operations is well described as existing in those that are able to receive him. On the other hand, his essential existence before the ages and his ceaseless abiding with the Son and Father cannot be contemplated without requiring titles expressive of an eternal conjunction. For absolute and real coexistence is predicated. In the case of things which are mutually inseparable, we say, for instance, the heat exists in the hot iron. In the case of the actual fire, it coexists. And similarly, the health exists in the body, but that life coexists with the soul. It follows that whenever the fellowship is intimate, congenial, and inseparable, the word with is more expressive, suggesting as it does the idea of inseparable fellowship. Where on the other hand, the grace flowing from the Spirit naturally comes and goes. It is properly and truly said to exist in, even if on the account of the firmness of recipients' disposition to the good, the grace abides with them continually. Thus, whenever we have in mind the Spirit's proper rank, we contemplate Him as being with the Father and Son. But when we think of grace that flows from Him, operating on those who participate in it, we say that the Spirit is in us. The doxology which we offer in the Spirit is not an acknowledgment of His rank. It's rather a confession of our own weakness. While we show that we are not sufficient to glorify Him of ourselves, but our sufficiency is in the Holy Spirit, enabled in or by Him, we render thanks to our God for the benefits we have received, according to the measure of purification from evil. As we receive one larger and another smaller share of the aid of the Spirit, we may offer the sacrifice of praise to God, Hebrews 13.50. According to one use, then, it is thus that we offer our thanksgiving, as true religion requires in the Spirit, although it is not quite unobjectionable that anyone should testify of himself the Spirit of God is in me, and I offer glory after being made wise to the grace that flows through him. For to Paul it is becoming to say, I think also that I have the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 7.40. And again, that the good thing that which is committed to you, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwells in us. 2 Timothy 1.14 And of Daniel, it is fitting to say that the Holy Spirit of God is in him. And similarly, of men who are alike these in virtue. Another sense may, however, be given to the phrase, that just as the Father is seen in the Son, so is the Son in the Spirit. 
The worship in the spirit suggests the idea of the operation of our intelligence being carried on in the light, as may be learned from the words spoken to the woman of Samaria. Deceived as she was by the customs of her country into the belief that worship was local, our Lord, with the object of giving her better instruction, said that the worship ought to be offered in spirit of truth, John 4.24, plainly meaning by the truth himself. Then we speak of the worship offered to, in the image of God, the Father, as worshipped in the Son, plainly meaning by the truth himself. As then we speak of the worship offered in the image of God, the Father, as worship in the Son, so too do we speak of worship in the Spirit as showing himself the Godhead of the Lord. Wherefore, even in our worship, the Holy Spirit is inseparable from the Father and the Son. If you remain outside the Spirit, you will not be able to even worship at all. And on your becoming in Him, you will in no way be able to sever Him from God, any more than you will divorce light from visible objects. For it is impossible to behold the image of the invisible God, except by the enlightenment of the Spirit, and practical for Him to fix His gaze on the image, to separate the light from the image. Because the cause of vision is of necessity, seen at the same time as visible objects. Thus fitly and consistently do we behold the brightness of the glory of God by the means of the illumination of the Spirit and by means of the express image. We are led up to Him, of whom He is the express image and seal, graven to the like. Well, we're almost finished with St. Basil's argument in favor of the Trinity and mostly the divinity of the Holy Spirit and how He is God. We have... A, a little bit further in his letter to go and then we will be complete and then we will move on to the next church father and continue our series and hearing the voices of church past i have been your host rob barnhart thank you so much for your time if you would please like subscribe share about the podcast get the word out please 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 also i would just ask that those of you out there would just pray for me I would really greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may we one day be free from sin, free from death, perfect unity before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, able to worship Him as we ought to now. Till then, may God persevere you steadfast in one true faith given unto the saints everlasting. God bless.